Hello, hello, and welcome to the Borealis Experience. I'm your host, Aurora, life coach and companion on this beautiful journey called life. And I'm very excited to introduce you to Anthony Cecilia today, a friend of mine who is an author, a really badass author. I was honored to read into his book um, already that has not been published yet. It's called The Footprints of Funny Feet. And it's a book written to, dedicated to Anthony's nieces. And it is so very touching and it is so exciting to read Anthony's story because you don't really yeah know who he is until you start reading and I feel you really get to know Anthony through his words and um, yeah we want to talk about his book today we want to talk about his experience um, during COVID it was a very intense one like for many people who are listening um, but let's start with you Anthony and your beautiful book here welcome to the show Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time today. Yes, you are so welcome. And I'm happy to get to know you in person here over Zoom. Um, so I didn't read the book back to back, of course, because there was not enough time. But right. I started reading at uh, the point where you talk about Nero, your dad, And the difficult relationship that you had with your dad. And yeah. um, I can relate very well. I love my, my dad to pieces, but we also had very dark moments and difficult situations. But when I was yeah. reading about you and your dad, I could really see, feel and sense your anger and frustration with him. Um, right. How were you able to, to overcome these dark feelings with your dad or would you say are you still um yeah in a in a difficult relationship with him um so that's a very funny story i was sent to the icu a couple times and i was put in there because of blood loss and um I think I was there for about five days on intervenous because I had lost um, like nearly half my blood. I had lost about 80 units of blood because I was just getting sick so often. Mm. Um, but uh, when I was um, in ICU, um, I called my uncle uh, from Italy Uh, because they had offered to do a endoscopy to see where I was bleeding. And um, my uncle called my father to go to the hospital to pick me up because I was pretty weak at the time. And then my, uh, my mother walked in I think I was as white as a ghost because like, you gotta remember, I just lost so much blood. And um, 
my father, suspecting that I would die, um, basically apologized for everything he did. And that kind of snapped him out of the whole anger situation. Wow. Wow. So in face, in the face of death, you suddenly had that realization, oh my God, what did I do? And can I, can Anthony forgive me for it? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, I, it was quite a moment. Like I had no, I had nothing to say because I was too weak. Yeah. Um, but like. You heard him. Yeah, I heard him. Yeah. Um, I think he was tra I think he was traumatized by the whole situation. Yeah. Um, like in general, like they picked me up from the ICU about five days later, mm -hmm. and um, I just went home. And I sat on a chair and I just slept for like a couple hours. And um, I just, I guess the hospital uh, made a mistake because even though I lost blood, they forgot to say, oh, you need some iron. You need some iron pills. So that I was going home, I was sleeping six, seven hours a day for about two weeks. And I said, I called up my doctor. I said, why am I so exhausted? So they, so they did this uh, blood test on me. They're like, oh, you only have 90 units, 100 units of blood in you. So we're going to put you on iron pills for the next three months. I said, okay, that's fine. And um, so I went on iron pills for the next three months. And then after that, it was like 160 units of blood, which is, quite healthy and then I slowly recovered from there yeah but um yeah like the whole experience of me having ulcers basically traumatized my parents enough to actually like not physically bend to their knee but emotionally bend their knee and be like we're gonna lose this kid uh, so we better make uh make things right before we don't have a chance to hmm That is so incredibly beautiful. And it isn't it so crazy how it takes such dramatic circumstances for a person yeah. to snap out of a, a mode. And at the same time, it's awesome. It's so great. But I also yeah. think, shit, does it always have to get to that point? I guess, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I guess for some people, you know, you have the yeah. stubbornness Italian. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> But this is so great. This is this is very beautiful that that you were able to experience that. And I'm sure for you emotionally, it gave you so much strength to hold on to life and and to keep fighting for your health. And now now you're doing way better, right? Yeah, I'm doing so much better. Yeah. So I had, I had, I had separated my hip while I was sleeping one night. I had a metal rod placed in my hip when I was in my early 20s to restructure the bone um, because I had a surgery related to my cerebral palsy. 
Well, in that surgery, when I, when I was 20 years old, what they did was they went in and broke both my hips and placed metal rods in, in my hip. Well, it turns out 13 years later, the metal rod in one of the legs didn't, didn't want to agree with the bone structure. So it dislocated one of the hips. Mm. And I woke up in pain and all that stuff. And so when I was uh, in the in the hospital for hernia surgery, um, I had asked my thoracic surgery team if I could um, get some physical rehabilitation because at that point, after the hip injury, I hadn't walked in about four years. So I hadn't walked. I lost the ability to walk in 2018 and I haven't walked since um, on my own without any aids or anything like that. So even though I have cerebral palsy, I'm pretty independent and um, I walk um, pretty independently on my own without any support at all. That being said, I'm, I'm actually pretty tough on my bones because of that but I'm also very stubborn because I don't want to rely on any games. And you're Italian. That doesn't help either, right? <laughs> Thanks, Aurora. <laughs> I'm not going to cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so when I... Uh, When I had physical rehabilitation inside the hospital there, um, they told me that I would have rehabilitation for about two weeks. And then I asked if I could go to a rehab center to actually finish the progress. <clears throat> But they sent me there. But unfortunately, the progress wasn't enough to convince the people at the rehab center that um, the surgery was a good idea. I had uh, planned surgery for a hip replacement in May, but when the other hospital got wind that my hernia burst open, they wanted to delay the surgery until I was better. Yeah, of course. But then um, the thoracic surgeon said, you know, you can operate on them in so many days. Um, they gave me a 60-day window to do a, to do a hip surgery um, because they had done the hernia surgery and it was a success. And then uh, my thoracic surgeon gave me the clearance to do the hip surgery. Um, I had the hip surgery in March 24th for the removal of a steel rod that was infecting my leg and causing bursitis. Now, because I had uh, severe arthritis, um, there was there's no point in just leaving the leg the way it was. Um, so I was told by my hip surgeon that I would have uh, two surgeries and it would be staged. The first surgery would be the removal of a steel rod And the second surgery would be the, the need for a total hip replacement on the left side. Mm -hmm. 
And he said, well, you're probably the youngest guy you've ever had that we've ever had to operate on because you're only 36. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I told him, look, I know people give me a bad rap because I'm young and, you know, they don't want to operate on me because I'm a young guy and I may need surgery in the future. And that scares people because how many replacements will they're going to need for a young guy like myself? So that's why like most surgeons, they don't want to touch me. But I, I made a deal with the surgeon. I said, well, thank you for doing the surgery. But like if, if I'm in pain, um, like if the pain is radiating through my hip, and it's limiting my mobility to move, then we're going to have to look at the possibility of getting me a hip, even though I am young and I get it. But you have to realize that the circumstances behind me needing surgery is different from someone that's, say, able-bodied or 80 years old. People that are 80 years old and have arthritis get more hip replacements than people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, Because some of the doctors just believe that um, they have to wait it out, but I'm not that type of individual. Mm -hmm. So so, um, for me, um, I had gone to my hip surgeon. I said, look, like, I need a I need a hip surgery. My groins are hurting. I can't move. It's taking me three or it's taking me two or three nurses to get to the bathroom. Like this is terrible. I'm 36 years old. If I wait 10 more years, it's gonna be 10 times worse. I need this now. Like and I told him, like I said, people want ice cream, but I want to hit. Like, I need a hit. Mm-hmm. I want ice cream, but I need a hit. Like, if this was my choice, I wouldn't want a hip at all. But this, these are the circumstances that led me to that. Mm-hmm. So he says, he says, okay, yeah, we'll give you the hip. And then um, we had planned for December. And like, December just passed. And of course with the pandemic and the shutdowns and the government, the whole rigmarole with that, they got postponed. And then I got into hockey, uh, selling tickets and stuff like that, just to get my mind off of waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, want, I wanted to stay busy doing something uh, during a pandemic. And I realized Hey, you know, I used to be a sports reporter at college and I was a pretty good one. If I remember now, I don't think I would be able to go in the broadcast booth right now in my condition, but I can, I can sure sell tickets. <laughs> so that's what I ended up doing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what happened is, is that the arena shut down and then you know, there's so many um, problems with the mandatory mandates in Ottawa and all that stuff. So I just kind of stepped away from it and um, cleared up a few things with my book and 
uh, went to town on that. Um, but the book itself was like, I think I started it in September of 2021 and I had finished in just after December and I had uh, the fortunate um, circumstance of having a local publisher here that gave me incentive to actually give me a contact information for a photographer. She was really nice. I was really nervous about having my photo taken uh, only because um, I didn't know how things were going to go. Like, I'm not nervous at all to get my photo taken, but physically I was nervous because, you know, I'm in a wheelchair and I didn't know how things were going to go. I didn't know if I was going to uh, challenge her in some way or I didn't know if she was going to be like, no, can't photograph you, you know. But she was so nice. She's like, no, no, no. Step into my studio and we'll work around that. And I'm like, that's so nice. So I ended up doing that. And um, so then from the photo shoot, we ended up um, where I ended up working with my publisher to finalize some things and, you know, get some details. And then I went back to my surgeons on both sides and I said I want to turn this into a book because I've been through a lot of junk I've been through a lot of trials of stuff and I want to turn this into a book can I have permission from you guys to take my medical information and put it into a book oh yeah sure it's your medical information so they gave me the medical information I, I unfortunately, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I've had to um, skim through it and I've had to understand some things and I've had to actually work alongside the publisher so he can not make it so that it's so much medical jargon so that the ordinary person can understand what's going on. Yeah. Dumb it down. Yeah. Translate and uh, language in itself, right? Yeah. So he's been working with me for about, I want to say two or three months. And, you know, the publishing group is pretty fantastic. Um, but I never understood how much publishing a book would take. It, it's a lot of stress. Um, but it's certainly a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. Certainly I was able to put the work in, but I didn't realize um, how much work it would entail. But I'm glad I did it because if I went to, uh, say, a Simon & Schuster type publisher or a Barnes & Noble type publisher, you know, they probably would have took my work and did did their own little spin on it without very little input from me. So I'm happy I kind of went independently and kind of went a self-publishing route mm -hmm. because um, then I maintained the integrity of the book so that it's me 100%. Yes. So 
it's the publisher asking the questions. Do you want this picture here? Do you want this picture there? Do you want, what about this information? What about this chapter? And so it's a constant correspondence with the publisher and we're, we're working together like through the weeks and months. And it's just great. It's challenging for both of us, but you know, that's, that's the ins and outs of creating a book. Mm, so sweet. Yeah, and, and I read in your book also that it wasn't always clear that you were going to become an author, like you went to school for it, for journalism, and you went through your yeah. troubles there and encountered obstacles. But for some reason, being a writer is way stronger than the obstacles that you you faced. And I find this so beautiful and inspiring for people to know that if if you have a dream, if you feel that mission is coming through you, nothing can stop you. Yeah. yeah. So a, a little uh, story about my writing, but you say it's it's great, but I can tell you like 10 years ago, my writing was horrible. <laughs> like, I don't even know how I got through elementary school or high school because my writing was horrible. Even in college, my writing was horrible. It wasn't until um, I had a conference with a, new, with a news writing teacher that says, Anthony, your writing is horrible, but you have the passion to write, but you're just all over the map. I said, well, I don't have the, skill, I don't have the skills to do this. What are the skills? What are the, like, because when you write for news, you got to write in a certain way. Yeah. It's not like, what did you do last summer? Like, you know, yeah. it's not like one of those story reports. So uh, I had to learn that skill. And it was a huge learning curve for me. Uh, like there was moments where I just wanted to say, oh, this professor has no idea what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> but it turns out he did. Uh, so he ended up, Taking me aside is like, if you can actually understand what's happening, you could be a good writer. Mm. He's like, I know you have the passion for it because I see it in your writing. You just lack like grammar or um, sentence structure when it comes to news because you probably have never been taught that. I said, bingo, you're right on. I have never been taught how to write news. I said, this is why you're the teacher. Yeah. And um, it, it got to the point where I was about ready to fail. Like, the teachers were about ready to fail me. And um, I said, no, no, don't fail me. I really want to do this broadcast thing. I really want to go and have a life in sports. Don't fail me yet. Like, don't give up on me yet. Like, if I have to read a book, like throughout the summer to understand like how news is written in proper format, then I will do that. And so I don't think the teacher gave, gave it much thought. And he basically said, what? Okay, I'll give you a shot. But he basically kind of ripped me off. Not 
not expecting that it, I would actually come back and prove him wrong. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to prove him wrong. I was just trying to understand what he was trying to teach him. Mm-hmm. So in college, we had a lot of time off. We get time off in May and then we go back in September. Well, this is around the time when uh, the Percy Jackson books were very, like, very influential in society. And I know a lot of people were Harry Potter fans. I wasn't. But, like, back in the day, I studied Greek mythology with a friend of mine. So I said, if I can read the entire series out loud, maybe I can understand how to write news. So that's what I did. I, I went home, sat on my parents' farm, and I read five books in one summer out loud outside and um, outside on a hammock. And they had said, my parents had said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm getting ready for school. I want to know how to uh, write news properly. And then I came back in September and I was given a couple tests on news writing because we're given news writing assignments uh, once a week, twice a week. And um, the professor scored me 71. And he's like, oh, you did good. 75, 85. And then by the fourth week, he's like, what did you do? Because your writing is improved. Like, what have you done? I said, well, I went home and I read Greek mythology out loud. He's like, really? I said, of course I did. You told me to be a better writer. And this is the writing that I understood. And so I applied it to news writing. And from then, like, he didn't question my ability to write again. I said, no, it's good that you challenged me. Because if you didn't challenge me, I probably would have said, forget it. It's not worth the effort. Mm. But I realize now that because I've had a great teacher and great teachers in journalism, like they helped write the book without them realizing it because it's their skill that helped me write this book. Mm-hmm. Like I can have all the passion in the world, but if if you don't know how to write a book, it's not going to happen. No. No. Oh, that is so beautiful. I just had goosebumps all over my body. And it is um, it is so fascinating, those moments where we feel challenged by another person. And at the same time, there's a part in us that says, no, but actually they're right. And actually I can accept the challenge. I'm not going to be a victim and cry in my corner now. I'm going to sit down. Yeah and apply what is taught to me it also takes great teachers yeah if you had an asshole as a teacher yeah. who, who would formulate it in a way that made you feel shitty and you know worthless you might have not picked up that challenge and and just right. it. but he had this this talent to to challenge you in the right way not too much not not uh, too little And um, yeah. you you attacked it and, and tackled it and made something out of it. And I mean, everybody who's reading books 
there's always the the acknowledgement, always the preface where where people mention other people that help them. And so it takes a it takes a huge team to create a book and not just a writer. Um, right. And and you gotta you gotta admit to yourself that you can't do it all. You can't do the the perfect selfie or you can't do the perfect illustrations. You need other people. And and right. it's so nice to to reach out and then feel that people are on the same page and and love your mission and this is how we met as well right you you message yeah. your book and i'm excited for you and now we're creating this beautiful um podcast episode together and this is how it all works and it's it's beautiful yeah. it's gorgeous yeah connecting yeah through, like social connecting through social media you know especially when it comes to a book is so important. And I thought, um, I thought for years, how am I going to write this book? Because no one's going to write this story for me other than me, because no one can understand it other than me. Mm -hmm. And I know I was in college and I went to college a couple of times. And um, the, the reason I say that is because cerebral palsy for people that don't know it can wear you out pretty quick if you don't walk with any aids. And like you said, I'm Italian, so I'm stubborn. Um, and the because I was walking, I <laughs> 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 that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, so, <laughs> so a lot of people don't realize this, that when you have CP and you're not walking with AIDS and I realized this a lot later that your body breaks down a lot faster. Mm -hmm. um, it's as if like you're a competitive, um, you're a competitive figure in sports. The only way I equate it is um, I'm not a professional wrestler, but I think my body treated me as though I was one. So I constantly got burnt out yeah. because I was like treating my body like it was a runaway train. I couldn't get enough food, couldn't get enough calories, couldn't get enough proteins. And it, it felt at sometimes that my body was like a running Ferrari. Mm. And I just, so I constantly got run down and then I developed um, a sense of, okay, we need to slow this down. You need to go part-time because your body cannot take it. I know you act pretty tough, but like, you have to understand and listen to your body at, at points. Like you cannot run with the crowd. So just stop it, like slow down. Mm. And at that point, like I felt in college that I needed to run, run, run. I was always running to class because I was always late. And uh, I don't know how it's possible because I had a, I had a walker with me sometimes and other times I wouldn't. And then other times I would just run, run on through or have someone else carry my books. And, but sometimes uh, like I was always late. I don't know how that's possible. Like I had, like I said, I had a walker. So I had four wheels and I had two feet. So I don't, I don't know why I was late all the time, but I was. 
Um, but then I developed and I understood why I was late because of the distance that it took me to get from one area of school to the other. Um, the book wouldn't have been possible um, if it wasn't for um, 2007. I had read a book called The Lion's Tale Around the World in Spandex. And at that point, like, I had wanted to get into the sports field, notably at that time, professional wrestling. So I had, I had known that I needed to study my stuff and know my stuff. But before I ended up doing that, I wanted to read books mm-hmm. so, that I underst- so that I understood the sport of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. So that people wouldn't, you know, say, oh, you don't belong here. You don't know this. You don't know that. So I took it upon myself and I challenged myself. And I bought one wrestling book every month for like two years. And I read every wrestling book there was. It got to the point where my brother and my cousins are like, you're nuts. That's like five grand of information just blown down the toilet. Oh no, I'm going to become the greatest writer that's ever lived in sports. And I was so, I was so determined and um, I have determination now, but in a different way, but like, um, I think it was the, the fall of 2007 that I ended up picking up the book, a lion's tail around the world in spandex. And it was a book by Chris Jericho. And for the life of me, I can't remember any physical matches that he was ever in. Like he was a professional wrestler. And the, the stories about his, his life, I can't remember anything about the book except one thing. So he talked about um, an injury his mother sustained while being in an altercation with her boyfriend at the time. And she sustained a spinal cord injury. She sustained a spinal cord injury that left her paralyzed. And when I read the book and I read that chapter, that stuck out to me um, because I said, now here's a crummy situation. And um, that's got to be awful to write about. But like, if you look at my situation, like, how, how does my situation and her situation parallel to, parallel to each other? And I'm like, well, if Chris can write about that, no one else is going to write my story. So I better get off my butt and get in the gym, but I better do it in a way that um, is safe for me. So I started working with the spinal cord coach to um, build up my quadriceps and my arm muscles and stuff like that. And like, even the stretching is important to me. Stretching is so important to me. Um, But I began to understand that that book was probably one of the books that I remember 
Um, I remember not being able to put it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got so, I got so deep into it. Like I would come to the supper table and I would carry the book with me and I would, I would eat and I would, I would read. And my, my mom for the life of me said, put the book down. I said, I can't, this book's about my life. <laughs> and my mom's like, what are you reading? I said, well, it's about wrestling. It's like, oh, that's stupid wrestling again. <laughs> um, so um, I came to a realization that I needed to write the book my way. But as long as I tried to write it, it never felt complete. Mm-hmm. Never felt. I, I tried for about 10 years to write it and sit down and actually go through it and go through it. It never, ever felt complete. And then when I got the hernia surgery in um, January of 2021, the nurses has t- have told me that were looking after me at the time. They said, you're, you're a young guy. You've been through a lot of garbage. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And without a... Without a blink of an eye, I said, well, if I write a book, you're, you're going to get the first copy because you you guys saved my life. And so um, after the the hip surgeries that I had, um, I was placed in um, a long-term care unit while I waited for this um, hip replacement. And I was brought here in July of 2021. And like... I formulated the book chapter by chapter and I sat down and I wrote out, okay, what, what are the chapters going to look like? What are my experiences? Is it worth writing? Yes. And by December, like I finished the book and then I went, I went looking for the publisher and, the rest is history, but I ended up talk. I ended up talking a lot about like the influence of Chris's book Alliance Tale around the world in spandex a lot in the book mm-hmm. itself, and I, I thank him for the inspiration behind mm-hmm. the ability to write the book because, like, yeah, I wanted to write it, but. I needed a good kick in the pants to do so. Mm. And so even though it took me 10 years and I realize now why it took me 10 years, it's because the book wasn't finished because I hadn't done, I wasn't done experiencing all that needed to be experienced. Mm. And I knew that after the hernia surgery and the hip surgery, I knew that I would have enough material to finish the book and then I would have no problem writing it. I just had to get off to a quiet place. And then I realized, hey, when I was in long-term care, there's nothing to do. So all you're doing is just typing. I know some of the residents here, when I got here, they they said, we can hear you typing through the walls. (laughs) And uh, 
I said, well, yeah, I'm writing a book. And then they, um, the staff here, they're like, you're writing a book? How old are you? I'm like, I'm 36. And they're, they're, they said, um, what are you writing your book about? I said, well, it's my challenges with CP and what I've been inspired by, what I've been inspired by and influenced by and all the things that I've experienced. They said, well, we want to read it. I said, well, it's got to be written first. And uh, so the, the generalities of the book, like it must have gone through, I think, three or four different trials of does this work? Does this work? Does that work? Can, can we include this in the book? Can we include that in the book? So originally it had about 50 chapters and then I'm like, no, this doesn't work. You know, I don't want to write about this because this is very small. I don't want to write about that because then you drag on and drag on and I don't want to lose readership. Right. So then I went from 50 to 23 chapters and, you know, I, I read through it five or six times and said, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but this seems like a good quality book to me that I can actually send it to a publisher and a publisher would say, hey, it's a good book. Nice job. And so the rest is history. Mm. I find it so beautiful how you describe that you wanted to finish that book earlier, but for some reason it didn't feel as if it was finished and you took the time and all the experiences and then finished the book. And now looking back, you realize, yeah, this is what it took. You can't just start a book and finish it. I mean, probably some people can do that in a couple months, but if you really want yeah. Like if you feel it's not finished, then you have to listen to that intuition and trust that there's still pro progress happening, even though yeah. it doesn't really feel like it. Yeah, you, you're, mm -hmm. living, you're living in the moment, you're experiencing things that you think have nothing to do with the book, but then one right. day soon it will all fall into place and, and create this beautiful piece of art and one day you might turn it into a movie maybe no i don't know it's uh, a, lot of, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of extra work uh that doesn't matter but you know what i would love to see when you publish this book is that there is uh pictures in there from a picture of your dad a picture of your mom and and to see faces to the the characters that you describe so nicely um, yeah, because you you write so vividly, and maybe it's just me. I I just started to create pictures in my mind, and sometimes you're like, oh no, that person looks totally different than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is so beautiful, Anthony. Thank you so much for for sharing all this with us. And I would like to ask you one last question. If, sure. if there is listeners right now who, who listen to you and they feel like they have a talent, but 
they might be stuck in a situation where they can't really pursue their talent. Um, what would you, what would you recommend? What would you give them as an inspiration to still explore the talent, even though the time might not be right? I would say just be patient. If, if they realize the talent's there, but they realize the timing is off, I would just say keep the talent, but be patient, but continue to work work at the talent itself. Maybe not let it out entirely. Um, I would say that if, if you're a baseball player, and you realize you have a talent for baseball, but say the field is soaked and you can't play, but it's so important for uh, the baseball player to, to keep practicing in like any weather. Like if it's raining, put on a raincoat or a tarp and just get out there mm -hmm. and throw the ball around. Um, because the timing isn't always going to be perfect. And so I realized that um, when I came to long-term care, even though it's very uncomfortable for me to be here, it's, it's uncomfortable for me to be here because I'm only 36 and I'm dealing with people that are on their way out in life and I'm just starting my life. Um, so I realized I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum from a lot of these other people. And so the staff here realize that and they see that and they understand how di difficult and challenging it is. And that's why I continue to read and continue to um, listen to music and continue to motivate myself to just keep going. Because for me, this is just a waiting room. Like it's just a waiting room to get it to get a hip it's not a permanent fixture and so i realized in the process of writing this book um the timing was never right to actually write the book in the timing that i wanted because i had to experience some things like even though i've been in the hospital for about eight months you would think you get a lot of downtime in the hospital But you really don't because for most of the hernia stuff, I was on my back and dealing with internal injuries. And then I was dealing with, you know, bowel stuff. And um, so I realized at that point, like writing a book wasn't my first priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I realized when I went to rehab that, okay, if I can get into a nice, quiet place and I don't have anything to do for the next three months, I can do this. All I would need is my computer. I need to keep my medical notes and I need to keep a journal of everything going on. Mm. So while I was in rehab, I asked to take photos so I can put it in the book. And they're like, what book? I said, well, I'm going to write a book after this is all done. 
They said, are you serious? I said, yep, I'm going to write a book about this whole experience. So you better be nice to me or I'll put some bad stuff in the book. (laughs) And so I realized that at the time, coming to long-term care physically and emotionally was very uncomfortable for me. But it became the perfect situation where I could just slow down, stay quiet, and just write. Mm. That's so crazy interesting. And I love how you see your situation now as temporary. I, I thought right away of Nelson Mandela, right? He was in prison for 27 years and he knew one day he's going to be out there and, you know, live a normal life again. And, and yeah. maybe you feel the same. You feel imprisoned right now, but you're doing the very best out of it. And you're, you're even creating something for all of us to enjoy um, right. later on. So, yeah, thank you so, so much for sharing all this with us. And um, I hope we, we stay connected. And um, absolutely. Yeah, it was a great pleasure to have you here, Anthony. Thanks, Aurora. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope we were able to give you inspiration for your life. It is so worth to fight for your dreams, to never give up. And what I love about Anthony so much is that he doesn't make his cerebral palsy an excuse to not show up for himself. He's a fighter and a deep inspiration for so many out there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. If you haven't already, please subscribe. And I will put Anthony's details, contact information into the show notes. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.